Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Netflix. Let's Talk Yoga. Uh, I feel like I'm going to change the name soon to Let's Talk Life because I feel like that better describes the, the topics that we are uh, discussing. Uh, so I'm today joined by a good friend of mine, Ruth Steele, and we discuss so many different topics from grief and how yoga can help you heal to the business and Instagram side of, of being a yoga teacher in the yoga industry. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed speaking to her. And yeah, come and have a listen. <laughs> Hello, nice to see you. You too. Hello. Happy Tuesday. How are you? Yeah, yeah happy Tuesday you? to you. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm sitting and just about to enjoy the sun. Get outside today as much as possible because we have a limited amount of this where we live, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's been actually a beautiful couple of days. It's been really, really warm. My, um, my pale, pasty, white Scottish skin has suffered somewhat. <laughs> Have you had your Factor 50 on? Uh, I'm going to say yes, but uh, that might be a lie. <laughs> be a lie. Um, well, you're honest. You're honest about yeah. it. <laughs> um so yeah thank you so much for for joining me we better thank you um, for having me we'll just we'll fire straight into our to this episode of yeah Netflix. let's talk cool. yoga um so yeah. yeah i'm joined by i'm joined by the lovely booth and she's agreed to come onto my podcast today which is just so cool and so we have lots to lots to talk about but um i figured we should probably just dive into the massive thing that's going on at the moment in that isolation. Um, how are you? How have you been finding uh, your time in, in isolation? Um, it's been interesting. I, I have, in all honesty, found it interesting hearing everyone else talking mm. much more openly about things like feeling lonely or, you know, really missing connecting with friends mm. because. If I'm honest, I, I feel like before quarantine happened, before Corona came about, I was already feeling some of these things. Like mm. my family and friends um, from home are like living in England and I'd made this transition moving to Scotland. Um, before we moved to where we are now, we were in Larbert, which is a little bit in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. So I was like, I'm not really connecting with many yogis and I was transitioning to working online and working from home more. Yeah. So in that sense, it's been not much of a change in the way I work, mm -hmm. but I've actually found it quite reassuring to hear everyone else being like, oh, I feel lonely. Cause I was like, it is normal that I've been feeling this way even before Corona. And actually it's been quite, um, yeah, reassuring to know that probably a lot of people that are self-employed and that work from home have felt like this even before Corona. Yeah. And I, I guess now that people are talking about it more, it's like, yeah, it's normal to feel this way. And there are things that we can do to keep communicating and connecting, be it virtually or, you know, just picking up the phone to someone a little more often, checking in on each mm. other. So mm -hmm. yeah, I felt like I was prepared for it. Um, but then it's not made it any easier, I suppose. There are mm -hmm. still all, all the, the feelings that I've gone through. Yeah, how about you? How have you found it? Yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting time. So I, I, I'm much later to the party in terms of getting stuff online. Um, 
I, initially when isolation started, it was just like, boom, like really easy transition across. But it's interesting that you, that you actually had transitioned more towards an online, was that when you moved to Scotland that you, that that kind of happened or that you moved yeah. to doing stuff online, should I say? Yeah. I mean, it was probably 18 months ago now that I attended a retreat in Bali called mm. the online yogi. And it was all about teaching yoga teachers how to uh, market themselves online and take uh, more of an online approach so that it's more um, dur durable or long lasting, let's say. Mm. So you're not like just teaching 20 classes a week and burning yourself out. Mm. So yeah, I felt grateful that I had already taken an interest in some of this stuff because I've heard from other yoga teachers that have really found it difficult to um, transfer online. And it really isn't for everyone because most of us as yoga teachers are people, persons, you know, mm. we, we vibe well off the energy of others. And that's what we um, as humans cope well with, you know, we're not intended to be a singular like solo creatures, we thrive on community. So, mm. um, but I guess if people aren't used to taking things online, it, ha it hasn't been for everyone. And, and yeah, I suppose I was quite grateful that I'd started getting curious about this before it all happened. Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it is a totally, as you say, it's a totally different world. Um, I'm still finding it really interesting kind of building this almost like an online community. Um, and I think since since isolation started, it's, it's been so cool to see so many creatives like really like up, not up in their game, but do you know what I mean? Like really expanding into that kind of more uh, online presence. And I think it's I think it's really um, it's changed our industry. It's certainly in the last couple of months. I know before that, obviously, like you're saying, you were online, uh, you know, for a while. But I think it's really kind of pushed it's kind of pushed everyone into it, which is which is great. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome. It's funny actually, because when I was, you saying about your um, Bali retreat. So yesterday when I was, I was thinking about questions to ask and um, I went onto your YouTube channel and I watched, I watched that video. And yeah. um, firstly, I would say that that retreat looked amazing. It looked so good. And as I was watching, I was like, shit, this looks great. Um, but what really struck me when you were speaking one of the big things that you mentioned and you were extremely vulnerable in that video and I, and, and it was really, it was quite powerful to watch actually was your vulnerability when you were talking about um, practicing with a male teacher and you spoke about the fact that um, as a woman, sometimes you can really be comparing yourself to the teacher in terms of how their body looks or what postures that they can do and that maybe you or can't do. And I'd never heard anyone actually talk about why they enjoy practicing with a male from that sense before. And um, so I thought it, it would be cool to just hear a little bit more on that from you about, yeah, practicing with male teachers and, and how that's helped or maybe changed your practice in that sense. Yeah, sure. Um, it's really funny because I've not looked back at that video and if I did, I'd probably, I'd probably really cringe. <laughs> no, it, it's really like, it's really, you were really, brave than what you did I think so yeah well done <laughs> thank you thank you that means a lot mm. um yeah I, I can recall probably the moment you meant where I was kind of going through that uh, emotional stage and just mm. like sifting through some baggage of my own and uh yeah it was kind of a pivotal moment where I'd had this realization where 
um, when I started practicing yoga, I'd had probably the majority of my life actually with severe body dysmorphia. Mm. Um, I've always fluctuated in, in weight. I got bullied as a child for being chubby um, and so on and so forth. But when I started practicing yoga, I would instantly compare myself to the female teacher and it, all the stuff that is material and doesn't matter, you know, like mm. the way that my body looks compared to theirs. In particular, when I was doing cat and cow or a plank pose my shame was my tummy and the way that it would sort of hang down mm -hmm. um and i wouldn't be present and in the moment at all i would be well i guess that's questionable i i would be present but in in the wrong sense of the word i would mm -hmm. literally touch my tummy and just shame myself internally being like this is disgusting or mm. this isn't how she looks like and looking back, I mean, I'm grateful that it happened because I can see the, the huge growth and change now. But I was just focusing on all the wrong areas. I was so bothered about what other people thought of me. And I was so bothered mm. about the appearance of this, this home, this shell, which is always changing. Um, and I was trying to aim towards, I guess, a goal, my inner goal of what I thought perfect was or how I thought I would be most accepted by the world. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was quite refreshing for me to start practicing with male instructors because I didn't have that comparison. I, I, I kind of could then make the transition into being present mentally in my practice and being present with all of the things that are important, like my breath and just mm. noticing my thoughts and being aware that I don't have to engage with them. You know, it doesn't mean I don't have thoughts like that mm. um, now, although they're far less. But if I have a thought like that, I know that I can say, oh, actually, that's not who I am. And I don't have to engage with that. I can just acknowledge it and let it go and get back to my present moment of, of whatever I'm doing. But yeah, so, so I really liked that, starting to practice with male teachers. Mm. And actually, I suppose it's made me appreciate more now practicing with women because I can see women in a different way yeah. and see everyone as the soul that they are rather than anything that I need to be in competition with or comparison with. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's, that's a huge topic. And... and... And I think, as, as I said, like you speaking about that is, is such a massive thing. Like, I, I feel like it's probably not spoken about all that much in terms of the sort of comparison from mat to mat and, and how, because as a man, <clears throat> going into a yoga studio, you're in a hugely female oriented environment. So, and, and as a guy, I know that when I come into a, into a studio and there's another man in there and I have to really practice on stopping myself from doing this, I'm exactly the same. Like I will, I will try and I will try and be um, deeper into a, into a pose. I will try and force myself into a handstand, or you know, and, and it's like this like kind of competition thing. Mm. And I think that's a real alpha male kind of vibe. So, and it, I think that's sort of held up more by the fact that you're surrounded by women. But it's interesting because I've never actually thought about the fact that you guys are going to compare yourself to the teacher if it's a female teacher and you're also going to compare yourself to the people that are beside you and i think that's an incredibly uh, 
liberating moment for you when you must have been able to realize like oh actually uh this is great like i am loving being able to practice and so so how about now then that's a that's a good do you still find that now <clears throat> that you're in the same mindset or has that kind of dissolved a little bit it's definitely dissolved um i can have moments when i fall back into a bit of that cycle i i mean working with your lovely partner ash and learning mm. more about my cycle in general i can now recognize when i'm at perhaps um a winter stage and my inner critic mm. is a little louder mm -hmm. that i can have a tendency for that voice to be louder and i suppose challenges with that come from working in social media and working online because it is a space where everyone's very judgmental about how people look and unfortunately mm. they do put a heavy emphasis on people's looks and people always feel like they they have a right to comment on that for some reason mm -hmm. um so i just have to be gentler with myself and take a step back or 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 you know practice my tools and techniques to nourish myself a bit more in those moments um but something i was just going to say there actually I, I found that interesting thank thank you for sharing that mm. but i'd never really thought about that from a, a guy's perspective when you are the minority in a hugely female-based environment mm. um but i actually had a a really interesting conversation yesterday with a, a guy called david lee who i'm going to be interviewing on my channel on friday talking about this stuff uh, you know body dysmorphia body image and also the pressures that we put on ourselves because um because of what we think the opposite sex wants or what they are turned on by or mm. kind of how we've conditioned ourselves um so i guess for women this means performing like we almost teach ourselves to perform or hold ourselves in a certain way because we think mm. that's what others want or what the opposite sex will find attractive um and when that's not happening the female dialogue will be either that I'm not enough or that I'm too much. And I think the male uh, polarity to that is that they can do the exact same. They can hold themselves in a certain way or, um, you know, respond with their posture in a certain way because they think that's what females want. Mm -hmm. And the narrative for a man, David was telling me, will be, that they don't ever want to come across as weak or mm. vulnerable. Um, and I think, I think that, sorry, if I can just add on to that, I think yeah. that's why there's such a problem at the moment with getting men into the studio because they're putting themselves into already such a vulnerable state. They're going into a room full of women um, mm. who are more flexible than men. So they, they go from being this real strong character, like you can take a rugby player or a weightlifter and put him into a studio and this 60-year-old, 65-year-old, 70-year-old woman can touch their toes, they're half the size of them. So then automatically the, the, the guy is put into this like real like weakness, like they feel mm. so weak. And I think that's why so many people really struggle to, so many guys struggle to stay in that space. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it, I don't know how we get around that um, and I don't know how we, we make it, but I think just talking about the fact that 
everyone is different and that is like in itself such a beautiful thing like everyone is their own shape their own size their own flexibility level you touched on a little bit there about um social media and i know that you're a big advocate for um like positive uh, body mindset and also about <clears throat> i want to talk to you a little bit about this sort of i don't want to say the sexualization of physical bodies in yoga especially on instagram i do feel like there's a, a, an extent of that do you think that's a do you think that's become a trend on social media or do you think that um that's become popular just because people have chosen to make that popular um <laughs> very good question it's a good question that one mm -hmm. <laughs> i think it has always been this way. If, if you think about, um, I mean, I probably won't do this justice. I'm not an art expert and I'm not that into art. But if you think about nudity that we mm. see in old school art, uh, we usually only see naked bodies in the context of some sort of fornication or sexual mm. act or mm -hmm. so so therefore we relate seeing a naked body to something sexual so therefore instantly i mean i was going to say more so the female body but that's not always the case it is sometimes the case with with men as well but instantly when we see someone's naked body and someone standing in their power and being comfortable with their mm. natural state um, we assume that it's something sexual. And I have noticed myself, particularly whenever I've shared anything on social media where it's been um, a, a nude shot, I will get DMs from some people and some men that are like, fuck me, or, you know, something instantly sexual. And I, mm. I personally block those people because it's not something I want to encourage but actually in my heart that doesn't feel fully right either because I think what we need to do is talk about it more and just open up the conversation because there is a reason for this like I just said that the reason that we're not used to seeing people comfortable in their nudity and it not being sexual you know it just mm. being a celebration of this wonderful shell that we have to experience the world and I guess yeah, when we when we wearing clothes, although for some people it could be religious or a sign of respect, in some ways we're also putting on a layer. We're, we're hiding something. We're shaming something. Mm. So therefore, it is very uncomfortable for many others, especially if you're not comfortable in yourself. And I, I feel like I can say that because I, I have been at that point where I've not liked or loved myself. So therefore, if I've seen another woman wearing a bikini or nude I have been triggered by that and been like who the fuck does she think she is you know being mm. comfortable in her body because I'm not comfortable mm. in myself so I now recognize when that happens with another but I guess the only solution is to just keep talking about it and destigmatize it take away the shame and um yeah just talk about how it isn't really fair to sexualize anyone else but at the same time, it's fully understandable why we do if this is the only mm. time we've seen nudity in mm. relation to something sexual. So 
it's really, really difficult. Again, this is such a massive topic and it could be like discussed back and forth for for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, sorry, just one more thing I was going to say as well. Mm. I suppose in terms of social media, there's um, a bit of a discussion or argument where others can assume that if you're portraying yourself in that way, that you're doing it just for the marketing or for the likes or for, do you know what I mean? And and that's mm. another gray area where it's not necessarily the right mind frame to assume that because then we're taking away the opportunity for somebody to love themselves the way they mm. are or become more comfortable with their body. And be really yeah. proud, like be really proud and confident and, and love how their body looks. And yeah, yeah. I, 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 it is, a, it's such an interesting it's such an interesting topic and there's so many layers to it. Um, so you, you, as I said, in that, in that retreat that you went on uh, and you touched on a little bit of just then about social media and, and marketing, mm-hmm. um, you are in the business of yoga in the sense that um, that's your job, just like it is mine. Do you ever find it difficult to uh, keep the reason why you're, why you're there in the first place? So by that, I mean, like, do you ever lose the focus of yoga in itself and become more business driven? How do you keep it separate or even together? How do you keep it together? (laughs) Interesting. Um, I have definitely been through a lot of stages where other people have tried to be the driving force for what I offer. Um, And it's very challenging to get that balance. Like often I've met people and told them that I teach yoga and in a very encouraging way, they'll be like, great, you should come and teach a class here or you should teach a class there. You should do this, you should do that. People always want to try and and help you, but also drive what you're doing. And I've found that whenever I have, have taken someone else's idea that hasn't quite sat right with me, I'm more likely, like you said, to lose my reason for why I'm doing this. So Mm. for the last couple of years, I've tried to be my own driving force and really dig deep with what sits well with me. And a good balance I I found is that I can sort of switch into my business mind when I'm working on social media. Like when I work for Jessica Oli now, I find it easy to be in that male energy, that sort of business mindset. Mm. Um, And when I teach, I'm in, I'm kind of more in my feminine, but it's a real mix of the two. Mm. So I have to teach when it feels right for me because I, every time I've overtaught, um, I've lost the reason why I'm doing it. So I have to teach when it feels right for me because then I, I know the reasons I'm doing it. And, and it's the same reason I, I practice my own self-practice of yoga which is to heal and to keep learning about myself and to unpeel the layers and and when i'm sharing from that place it's much more natural and authentic and i Mm. always feel good about it afterwards but when i'm sharing from that place of somebody else being like you should do this or you should do that it doesn't feel the same it feels Mm. forced and it feels yeah like it's not coming from the same authentic place Mm. authenticity i think is one of the hardest things to do in 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 when you're a yoga teacher sometimes you just completely uh 
you teach the way that you think that you should be teaching mm-hmm. <laughs> or I certainly do anyway I, I find that I that I I don't always I find it hard to stay completely authentic to myself and and it's but since lockdown actually I find that easier because I'm not teaching in a studio space so I don't feel like I have to mold myself to a studio as such I can just be whoever I want to be which has actually been really awesome I think that's been yeah. a, great, a great takeaway is that I can get to I get to enjoy teaching as me so I guess that's one massive thing to to take away from <laughs> uh, the lockdown situation is that maybe I'm becoming more of an authentic teacher um, awesome. it's such a it, it, you know smart business and everything that's intertwined with being a yoga teacher now is is such a such a huge business it's massive in itself um, and I think you 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 know, you've made a living out of it. I've made a living out of it. So it would almost be wrong for us to not acknowledge the fact that to some extent it is actually your job. Do you know what I mean? It, it is your work and, and be proud, like step into that, step into the power of it being your work and, and really thrive off of it. You know, um, that's what I would say on that front. Um, so you spoke a bit there about, um, or you mentioned uh, how yoga has helped you heal do you think it's helped you heal from, um, do you think that you wouldn't have maybe healed from your things like body dysmorphia because of it? Or would you have never even been uh, aware of it in the first place if you hadn't started yoga? <clears throat> it's so difficult, isn't it, to think where mm. you'd be now if you hadn't I know. come across yoga. Um, but I mean, I felt like I had this pivotal moment where before I started practicing yoga, you know, I, I practiced a little bit of like Bikram, goddess, mm. dare I say that name now, oh. <laughs> um, I practiced like a little bit of yoga here and there, but it, but the deeper sense of yoga had completely gone over my head. You know, I was practicing for the wrong reasons, just to lose weight or just to exercise because I thought I had to punish mm. my body and whatever. Mm. Um, but then I had this pivotal moment that my life had like been leading up to Long story short, I had had um, a three-year relationship that was very abusive that, that I'd been in. And then as soon as that ended, my mum my had cancer and she passed. Hmm. And it was like a complete shock to my nervous system. Like, I feel like it shocked me into my spiritual awakening. That probably sounds really cheesy, but I'd never been in a situation where I'd thought so much about life and death and like the beauty of them both and our rite of passage to them both. And um, Ram Das talks a lot about, uh, you know, destigmatizing death and talking about it as a rite of passage. Oh. And I love the way he speaks about it because mm. until I started practicing yoga, I hadn't been in a surrounding where people question themselves so much about life and about how we're living our lives and whether we're being truly present and enjoying them mm. and also talking about death and taking away the fear from that and exploring it. And I imagine it's the same. I, I can't speak from experience on this, but I imagine it's the same when you give birth that when you experience somebody die and that moment their soul leaves their body 
I imagine it's similar to when you give birth and a soul is born and suddenly in the room. Like it, it's just a pivotal moment where I connected with mm. something deeper and realized that we are all are so much more than these shells, these bodies, mm. which we will leave someday. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like that was a huge pivotal moment for me. And it's almost no wonder that I then got into yoga um, almost a year afterwards because mm. I'd had that moment, that like awakening moment. And then I threw myself into working as a fitness instructor in Greece. And although there were lots of elements that were healthy and a healthy lifestyle, I was working for an active holiday company. Everyone mm. like comes on these holidays to keep fit, stay healthy. So although there was that, there was also this huge mindset of like, go, 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 work, work, work nonstop. And also a big drinking culture, like mm. this unhealthy side to it. So I felt like I just needed more. I needed to be a around people that were having the conversations about real things like life and death mm. and meaning of life. And just something that was longer lasting as like a guide, like I sometimes say like if yoga was a religion, I swear, like I'd be like yoga is my religion. Not that I'm mm. religious, but it, it is that sort of guide, isn't it? That, that, that thing you come back to your reason mm. that you connect with. Um, yeah. And that's how it feels for me now. So I don't know. I can't say what I'd be like if I hadn't found it, but. It's yeah. funny. So I think so many people's journeys too that, and I, and, and I don't think that is silly, what you said about it being like a spiritual awakening. I think a lot of people could probably relate to that. Um, it's funny how it, it's something so beautiful is normally born from something so heavy or tragic. Mm. And uh, it, it, it really, it almost catapults you into, into looking deeper into yourself. And unfortunately, I think some people can go down, they're like, as you said, like, uh, like heavy drinking or abusive, uh, you know, abusing drugs or whatever. And it's great that rather than that being the path that you, that you took, you, you chose like this other really deep spiritual path. Um, and yes, yeah, I feel like once you, once you've stepped into that, it's, it becomes like a drug in itself. You become like almost addicted to the sensation of like trying to see deeper or trying to delve in more. Um, do you think that you had a, is there one experience or, or something that sticks out in your mind that, um, was re like, I don't want to say life changing, but is there one, one moment, um, in yoga or in some sort of healing work that you've done that you were like, fucking hell, that was big. <laughs> That's, it's so hard to pinpoint like one moment, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think there's been many moments on, mm. particularly when I did the 300 hour training um, in Thailand, I had many moments there where there was lots of influences to why, like I called my podcast Woke AF, as I, I guess I really just felt like I'd woken up from mm. just letting things pass me by or not really being curious about who I am and, and, and yeah. And, and what my purpose it here is. And yeah, so I guess that it was through the practices, but it was also through the community and everyone mm. else there, this, this huge power of like sharing something bigger together was 
a moment I had. And I suppose in realizing that, that's what's really challenging about this online space because how do we share that same exchange of energy through these practices mm. without actually being able to feel the energy in a room with each other? Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's a question I'm still asking because it's natural for yoga teachers to experience this and then you want to share it because it's been so profound. You're mm. like, fuck, I want to give this gift to other people. Yeah. But then it's, it is a new challenge trying to recreate that or, or share a version that's authentic to you with others, especially mm. through, through social media or an online space. So yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. I'm not it, sure I have the answer. It's, it's, I think, but I think you answered that in the sense that it's just been a continual, that's been like a continual journey um, of, yeah, I don't want to say spiritual enlightenment, but to some extent I'm going to say that, but it's been like this path that you've, that you've taken. And I think so many people will be able to relate to that. I think, as you said, like on teacher trainings, like after the, like when you've had like your really full on day, you've practiced like five or six hours for the day, You've been like inside your own head so much. And then you have all these people around you that you can just like spew out everything that you've just experienced. Mm-hmm. I think that in itself is such an important part of the training. It's funny because I've been doing, so since lo- since lockdown started, I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, breath pods. Have you seen uh, the Stuart breath pod? Have you seen yes, that? I've been yeah. doing his transformational breath as well. I love that guy. He's, He's brilliant. He's so cool. Um, and I've done a couple of his, he does a Wednesday night session um, on Zoom and it's so good. And I did it. And that is like, those have been like seriously like, like changing my perception of like reality almost. It's just been, they were just unbelievable experiences. And um, yeah, have you enjoyed doing them? So enjoyable. And actually, mm-hmm. I find it interesting when you spoke a little bit there about um, addiction and things like that, because I have an addictive personality. I certainly have gone through the stages of mm. um, abusing drugs and things like mm. that. Um, and I suppose to a certain extent, when I started getting deeper into yoga, it was an addiction. I was very addicted to the physical side and things mm. like that. And that has shifted. Um, and I think it is down to things like transformational breath because it's the closest thing I can liken to the effect of a drug in that it's in that it's instant in that it's really noticeable and and that it can like almost shock you into this state of yeah just this new state that if you haven't experienced it before I would fully recommend trying it because the fact that we have that power just with our own breath to harness that is Mm. is amazing and yeah I love the way that Stuart, is it Stuart? Did you say Stuart? Name? Yeah, Stuart. I yeah. love the way he teaches it because he's so um, just natural and calming, and mm. his music choices and just everything. He's he's got it. He's got the package down to a T. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's funny that, that like that a sort of addictive. I can completely relate to that because when yeah, I've, I've, you know, I left home when I was eighteen, and then I was in hairdressing environment, which is an extremely um, young, cool, like everyone that's, everyone that's around you is like kind of the same age as you. So you really kind of delve into this, yeah, uh, drugs. And, and then when I found yoga, it became very addictive as well. Like I became so addicted to it that I was doing, I was putting it above 
like eating sometimes I would be like oh I'll just go to I just go to this class and then like it was maybe a six o'clock class or whatever and then I would just not eat dinner after because <laughs> I would just be like I'm just fine now and it, it wasn't until I kind of looked at it and I was like oh my god I'm getting as addicted to this as I was addicted to other things and it, it and I had to try to really step myself out of it but it's been huge doing and um, looking at other practices other than just movement you know like looking at breathing and definitely getting a stronger meditation practice and I think it brings you to that real sense of just like you were saying and really beautifully put in that when uh, you know somebody is born it feels like this real like entering of a soul and I feel like to some extent when you do you know breathing or meditation you kind of almost divide yourself from that and you you can understand like there's just this bigger is this bigger thing than just you and you become so almost tiny that it's kind of beautiful in itself. I don't know if I'm putting that in any of the correct terms, but that's certainly what I've experienced is that I kind of almost shrink a bit <laughs> and everything else is so expansive and it just, it's just mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's so cool in that sense. You know, it's great. Um, no, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's such a, such a powerful thing for, and I, as you said, if you've not done it, I absolutely recommend doing it because yes. it's, it's like a drug in itself. Um, mm -hmm. mm, mm. Interesting the way that you put that as well, because although in those moments it feels like we're smaller because we realize there's this huge, bigger picture, mm. It's very valuable to have that experience because I think that then alters the way that you teach and the way that you share, you know, when you realize it's, it's nothing to do with, with you, it's about mm. others and it's about us collectively as the whole. Um, yeah. It kind of makes it come from that place of, of Dharma, doesn't it? Of purpose or yeah. Connection rather than it being people's ulterior motives or like ego or mm. what they think they should teach in a space, like you were saying. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And so so when when did you so you you said that your mum your mum passed away and you let you finished an abusive relationship? Is that when you then started yoga? After that? Um, so it was Oh, it was about a year later that I did the first training, actually, mm. because I, well, it's a bit funny. When, when I was teaching in Greece, it was literally like eight classes a day, six days a week. And I was teaching yoga, but I had no formal training. I have no mm. idea how they got away with that. It's so cringy to look back now. Like I was just teaching yoga from what I'd like taught myself from like my dancing days or like yeah. doing online classes or, you know, so although it wasn't terrible what I was teaching I was not teaching with obviously the amount of knowledge I have now and understanding about anatomy and mm. giving obviously loads of like um variations and things like that um and I needed to go through that stage because there was lots of ups and downs I was still performing a lot like every day the the biggest or the most common feedback I would receive from people is you're so happy. You're always smiling. And when somebody would say that to me, it would almost be like a little stab inside. Cause I would think mm. you have no fucking idea. Like when I get home, I am not smiling. I'm grieving. Like I'm depressed. I'm 
in this dark space. Mm. So to have that like imbalance of what people were saying to me to how I was actually feeling. Yeah. When, when I came to the end of that season, I was just like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep working myself to the bone and pretending or like performing mm. um, without giving enough airtime and space to my grief and my shadow side and the darkness. Like I needed to start. And I guess it was quite cathartic for me actually starting my uh, Instagram. Like I, I started it as like a personal journal and just mm. a place to like talk about my feelings almost and be honest with myself more than anything else. So I would just start talking about some of this stuff being like, you know, I've been really struggling or I've been feeling depressed and actually realizing then that you're not alone and other people mm. are like, I'm here for you or I've been feeling this as well. I was like, this is what I need to continue doing and this is what's helping me heal and naturally went into uh, deep kind of delving deeper into the yoga and then mm. wanting to learn more. And I didn't, I didn't go into the train 200 training thinking that I wanted to definitely teach. I knew mm. I wanted to do it for myself. Um, but then when we were obviously practicing teaching, I guess my performing background does come into it slightly because I am comfortable talking and mm. projecting my voice in a space and all stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it came about for me, but it was, it was through that darkness that I found more light mm. instead of forcing myself to be light, be smiley, and then feeling like it's just not connected. It's not balanced. It's not how I want to share with people without saying, yeah, I can be smiley, but actually I'm fucking mm. hurting sometimes just as mm. much as you are because we all have our own traumas or our own pain. Yeah. And I suppose in acknowledging my own pain, I was able to acknowledge other people's and have more empathy towards everyone else. Mm. The more that I was masking my own, I was like just getting annoyed at people being like, you're always smiling, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, I think that can be when you're in that stage and it's almost like, it's almost like you are performing in that sense that you're just kind of, you're putting on this, <clears throat> this front. And actually when you were to get home in the evenings, it was, it was not like that. And, and I think it, it can be such a powerful tool to, to help with things like grief or, um, or depression or anything like that. And um, because you are almost, you're almost forced to, to look more inwards and it can be much easier to distract yourself with, with other things, you know, like keeping yourself busy in your work or teaching eight classes in a day, which by the way is mental. I can't believe you were teaching eight a day. What? That's they were, crazy. They were shorter classes, but the schedules on those timetables that they have people working is nuts. That's insane. <laughs> that is yeah. insane. Um, yeah, I mean like that it's, and it's funny because I actually, so I went, I went to do my original 200s, where just after a relationship ending as well um, about seven six weeks after we we after it ended i was like fuck this i'm going <laughs> i was like i'm going away and i kind of did it on reflection to i kind of did it to avoid the feelings of um what happens when you split up with someone but by going i was then forced to have to think about it more <laughs> so it was like this like 
it was almost like speed therapy in that I was just like, I had this whole month of, well, you know what it's like doing a teacher training. It's fairly intense. And it was the best thing that I've, and I would stand by that hundred percent. It, it helped me so much. And so, yeah, that was, and then, so then you did a 300 hour afterwards. Did you say there, did you do a 300 after your 200s? Yeah, I had a break in between. I did um, a pregnancy yoga course in Edinburgh and oh, cool. then um, I kind of, yeah, was longing for that like next deeper step. So I did the 300 in Thailand and I, I love the way that you actually just described that as like speed therapy because mm. I just remembered a moment actually, which was a very pivotal moment for me. I, I, this had slipped my mind, but um, on that first 200 hour training, you know, when you, you'll do the exercise where you'll all share, go around in a circle, kind of say why you're there or, and, and it is like group therapy. Um, it's so intense. I, it's so <laughs> intense, but, but it's good. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. When I, when I had gone to the 200 hour, I was very much still in that place of, I was stuck in one narrative, which was my mum has died. Like, why has this happened to me? This isn't fair. Um, mm. And, and life's never going to be the same again. Like I was just stuck in that narrative and um, everyone was sharing their reasons for being there. And, and of course there was mind blowing things like, you know, people that had been abused and there was this one lady, my friend um, who explained how she had been brought up with a mother who wasn't, emotionally available for her she wasn't supportive or I think she'd have mm. problems with alcohol I'm not 100% sure but the long and short of it is that I had this realization where I was like I, I'm focusing on the wrong things I'm focusing on the distraught why instead of the gratitude of mm. fuck I am so lucky to have had 25 years with an amazing mum like other people haven't had that. And I mm. didn't realize how lucky I was to have had that. So suddenly I had this shift of mindset all at once where I was like, I need to focus on that, on my gratitude and, mm. and the things I'm grateful for and, and remind myself of the fact that, yeah, not everyone gets 25 years with, with a great mom. So mm. it did shift things for me. And that was a pivotal moment. And I guess the more I've continued this gratitude practice, like you'll, you'll know yourself, I'm sure that, it does positively change everything in your life, every relationship. And mm. it's hard to do. Like if you're stuck in one narrative to then focus on what you're grateful for can almost feel a bit, bit fake at first. You're like, Oh, I don't know. Like, am I truly grateful for these things? But of course mm. you are like, but it's just, it's just a practice like anything else, isn't it? Mm. And, and, and yeah. I think, I think a gratitude practice as well, it can be so small. Like it doesn't, you know, it, it, I think a lot of people are like, oh God, I, I need to be, today I need to be grateful for, um, you know, X, Y, or Z. When really you could just be like, I'm really grateful that uh, I had enough coffee this morning or that, you know, it could be such a small thing. Um, yeah. And I think grief, I, I mean, I listened to a really good podcast from uh, Elizabeth Day how to fail is her podcast, I think. And she spoke to a guy called Mo Goddard, who used to be the Google X head, mm -hmm. massively rich. And his son died when he was 21. And this is a long story, but I'm going to cut it right short. And he said that the difference between suffering and grief is that suffering 
you you blame yourself or you and you're really whereas grief it's like stepping into being able to feel you know like feel sad but then also feel grateful for what you experienced and once you can do that it's such a massive thing and i think so many people are stuck on suffering you know his son died and he he had chosen he had chosen the hospital that we went to and then as a as a something had happened in his um in the, in the surgery that he'd had. And unfortunately it was like one in a million chance that he died or something. It was tragic, but he, you know, he, the dad could have blamed himself and been like, we should have chosen another hospital. But he then said, if he'd chosen to, to blame himself forever, he would have just suffered like massively suffered forever. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he was able to kind of disconnect from that a little bit, re- rethink it and then, then able to step into grief. And, uh, and yoga teacher training, is like speed therapy and that's when you come into the closing circle or whatever and then you've got to talk about what your what your experience is like you're really witnessing other people being so vulnerable um, and I mean I, I don't even know why I cried so much when I was in my closing circle but I, I just couldn't stop crying for like some of it it was like it was just unbelievable like mind-blowing what people had been through and, mm-hmm. and I think Yoga is such a good platform for us to be able to share vulnerability in those kind of contexts. So, yeah, that was a long, uh, that was a long end to that. I think story. I think that answered our question from before, though, mm. where we would both be if we hadn't delved into yoga, is that we would still be in that state of suffering, mm. whereas now we can process more and be grateful for more it's not to say that there isn't any suffering of course there still is elements but you can approach them in a different way and process them and be more empathetic to other people's pain and trauma and suffering as well yeah it's uh yeah that was a um a fairly heavy end i feel (laughs) you know people are going to be listening going fucking hell thanks uh thanks for ruining the rest of my day Everyone's going to be coming away from this going. Like, yeah, got a lot of work to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, no, listen, Ruth, thank you so much. I really, I really, really appreciate it. Um, everything that you spoke about, your vulnerability and in everything that you do is, is, is really uh, awe-inspiring. So uh, I thank, thank you, you so much for, for coming on and, and chatting to me. And Thank you so much uh, for having sure. me. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Um, Listen, thank you to everybody that has listened. And wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. And thanks again to Ruth. And we'll see you all very soon. Loads of love. Bye. Bye. What a truly wonderful conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to, to Ruth speak she just has such a wonderfully relaxing voice and uh, if you're interested in in learning more about ruth then check out her instagram it's literally ruth steel under slash and then from there it connects you to her own podcast woke as fuck with ruth which is great too uh, amazing podcast with amazing guests also her website connects you to and then also her her youtube too so she has just this wealth of of uh, content that you can access so yeah fire over to her instagram and yeah let me know what you what you think about uh, today's podcast i hope you have a really beautiful day wherever you are and we'll see you soon thank you